Okay, do you want to jump into a little cloud? Yeah, let's do it. I really like how this paired with counterparts. So you can tell as you read this oh, book. Yeah. You can tell as you read the book how deliberate I think the ordering was. You know how the beginning was children and so mm-hmm. forth. So that's striking. I mean, I don't think that's deni- I mean, that's undeniable. Um, yeah. This as someone who's some, uh, you know, last year at Marion Bad, everything just randomly organized. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, like a lot of short not story to collections. Spoil aren't... anything, but it ends with the dead. <laughs> so <laughs> you can see where we're moving from childhood to the dead. Sorry, what were you saying? I was saying I imagine most short story collections um, don't have such so a like chronological or yeah, yeah, something some other. Not like thematic at all, just like whenever they were published or written or something. So, a little cloud. I think that's the story we're on. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. It's about a, a clerk, a guy who, or maybe not clerk, but like it seems like he just works in King's inns as some kind of law, legal. I mean, some probably some Irish. Some, some Anglo term that we don't use anymore. Um, just copying out some boring writing. Right. Uh, it has a feeling of like Google. Google wrote about a lot of like uh, functionaries. A lot of I mean, before they had like typewriters and copyists, people mm-hmm. who would have to you know type type out or write out or copy out different copy or um, both of these um, stories. Uh, just copies of contracts so that everyone involved has a contract. Um, so yeah, that, he seems like he has some agonizingly boring job. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder, the, where am I looking? I, I wonder, Hire some writing. I wonder if it would be worthwhile to ask you a question now, but I'll do it anyway. Yeah. So do you think that the characters in these two stories, the little cloud and counterpoint parts are, um, compromising the way they live? Do you think they've compromised with life or do you feel that, the the uh, I feel like this guy, Little Chandler, has. Okay. Or do you feel more that the setting of Ireland has forced him into a life of uh, a lot well, along the lines I, of what we talked about with your book of productivity mm-hmm. and conforming to having to be in that system, you know? Yeah, I would say those are like inseparable. I mean, we don't make any decisions outside of the context of right. our existence, especially when you're talking little Chandler, who's never been outside of Ireland or the other guy. Who right. doesn't seem like he's well-traveled. But you know, what, um, is the difference talent? But it may not be because we'll talk about this in a minute. The, the little, Talent and daring or something. The little Chandler has more Maybe just learning. daring. Maybe just daring, yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, you have to leave to get on. You have to leave. You have to leave Dublin, yeah, to uh, yeah. to make anything of yourself, as they say in this story. Uh, this is a bit melancholy, very, very explicitly melancholy. When he talks about yeah. how he's thinking about life and his his main or just throughout personality, a gentle melancholy took possession of him. Yeah, I love he thought how useless it was to struggle against fortune. This being the burden of wisdom which the ages had bequeathed to him. The third paragraph. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And then on on down, melancholy was the dominant oh, note yeah. of his temperament. But it was a yeah. melancholy tempered by recurrences of faith mm. and resignation and simple joy. Um, 
yeah, he, he has like this bleak life and he's about to meet his friend from eight years ago. I, I suppose he grew up with him. Gallagher, Ignatius, Ignatius Gallagher, Gallagher. Who's gone to London yeah. as a man who works in the newspapers there. And he's made a name for himself. And uh, yeah. did you get the sense, was he on his lunch break or was he, I, I don't know. I couldn't tell if he was on his lunch break Ignatius? or if he was after work. No, Chandler. He was like over, oh, Chandler. Yeah, when he was going um, to meet him. In any case, he goes to meet that, his that's friend. That's like after. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think after it's after work. work. Yeah. Yeah, just going there is depressing. Like, uh, for me on the third page, little little Chandler quickens his pace. For the first time in his life, he felt superior to the people he passed. <laughs> I know. Which is, like, literally is sad. But then you think, like, uh, he's he has this feeling of superiority just because he's going to six. He's going to talk to a successful friend. Yeah, at a restaurant that, that the where they speak German bar. and French. Yeah. Yeah, and then the important sentence, there was no doubt about it. If you wanted to succeed, you had to go away. Yeah. And yeah, as he's writing, uh, there's that, you know, some ineffable, probably melancholic feeling stupefied by the panorama of sunset and walking for the first chill of night and waiting for the first chill of night uh, to bid them arise. Um, he wondered whether he could write a poem to express his idea. Perhaps Gallagher might be able to get it into the London press room. Could he write something original? He was not sure what idea he wanted to express, but the thought that a poetic moment had touched him took life with him in him like an infant hope. He stepped on bravely. So yeah, he doesn't have like the beginning of a poem. He has the beginning of an idea that he might, yeah, have experienced a poetic <laughs> moment, and then he starts thinking about like <laughs> if he could put out a, a a little little collection of poems, and like his, his, his before he's even you know written the first line or even expressed himself whatever idea he wanted to write. Um, He's already thinking about, he, he began to invent sentences and phrases from the notice which his book would get. Mr. Chandler has the gift of easy and graceful verse. A wistful sadness pervades these poems. The Celtic note, etc., etc. Then he thinks about like what name he's going to put on the cover. <laughs> G. Malone Chandler. Yeah, and you know, one of the sad things too is that he's thinking all this through and he doesn't follow up with it. He's going to talk to Gallagher, who has connections in yeah, London. Yeah, we'll And he doesn't even have the um, guts to bring that up. Yeah. If I were to send you a poem that I might be able to write, <laughs> would you publish it in a newspaper? <laughs> I guess that might... I mean, they, they didn't carry... They didn't run literature back in the day um Sometimes. so they get the, he gets there and he runs into his friend who seems uh pretty yeah. garrulous and friendly and yeah. um i got the sense of being a bit of a con man they talk about his background and how he always has to borrow money which comes up a lot yeah. in these stories <laughs> as sort of a feature I mean, of honestly, types of the, people the, the press the early press certainly fleet street was all con men anyways <laughs> um, I'm not saying that uh, as a bad thing. I mean, he's like a character, right? He I mean, that's, like... that's something of his vivacity right. uh, relative to the rest of the people around, the people 
uh, like Shanley, who's been married, uh, O'Hara, who's in a bad way, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I underline where he calls Dublin Dear Dirty Lund- uh, Dublin. Uh, talking yeah. about being back in dear, dirty L- Dublin. I keep saying London. Um, and I, I like how uh, we get the sense that... Well, so little Chandler hasn't seen him for eight years. So I imagine right. in that time, that's when Ignatius Gallagher left Dublin and actually had experiences right. in other cities and so forth. So he's telling him for the first time yeah, about his experiences in Paris and London right. and... He's he's relaying and sketching out. He's proceeded to sketch for his friend some pictures of the corruption, which was rife abroad. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty right. innocent there. Um, uh, some things he could not vouch for, his friends had told him. But of others, he had personal experience. He bared neither rank nor caste. He revealed many of the secrets of religious houses on the continent and described some of the practices which were fashionable in high society and ended by telling with details... <laughs> A story about an English duchess, a story which he knew to be true. Little Chandler was astonished. Little abstemious <clears throat> Chandler, uh, who, you know, he's got a wife and kid, he works hard. Um, he says he drinks very little and waters down whatever they give him anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, these tales of immorality are way beyond his ken, certainly. I um I reread this story because I had read it last week and one one of the things that stood out to me reading it again was how he, how his drinking affects the story um his oh, yeah, you know the way he drunk. thinks and the way that he addresses his friend by the end of their uh, association here yeah. really seems to change you know because he's excited obviously and joyful and then he becomes disillusioned but not only disillusioned he becomes bitter you know about the, dis- yeah. the distinction between himself and Gallagher, and he's doing nothing about it except sitting there and stewing in it. Um, right. But, I mean, the distinction um, now is success, but yeah, he, there's there's some. Uh, yeah, he, ta- he, ta- he does talk about like how they he had how little Chandler had been born to like slightly better circumstances. <clears throat> right. Um, kind of associating that kind of way of thinking with. Uh, the, in the muddishness of Will Chandler. Yeah, he says to himself he was sure that he could do something better than this friend had ever done or could ever do. Something mm-hmm. higher than mere tawdry journalism if he only got the chance. Um, yeah. That's so easy to do, you know, and it's just so easy to disparage what other people have done and just, you know, feel grandiose about yourself in any situation like that. It's... I, I, I can relate to this. Yeah, yeah, especially with drinking, I can relate to the swirl of emotions that, you know, being indignant is just the easiest route out of that, I think, you know? It is also, I think, like the flip side of his modesty, his, like, blushing right. at any, at everything. Every, at the slightest trifle made him blush, I think. <clears throat> mm-hmm. A trifle made him blush at any time. There you go. Um, but yeah, that kind of, like, assumed modesty or that that that, 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 that kind of thoroughgoing modesty even um has as its uh mirror as its opposite that kind of uh yeah what you just say that kind of uh, i'm looking up looking at passages um yeah 
Uh, so he he kind of gives a dig at his friend at the end. He, I shouldn't say friend. Mm-hmm. Little Chandler gives a dig to Ga- Ignatius. Yeah, and he finally manly. He brings up how he's ma- basically how he's married and and Ignatius is not. Um, yeah, and it, but. That doesn't, uh, yeah, that doesn't really land on Galahair, but I'm in no hurry. They can wait. I don't fancy myself, I, I don't fancy tying myself up to one woman, you know? Yeah, and he says the meanest Must thing at the very stale. end. Must get a bit stale. That was mean. <laughs> yeah. And that's the last thing they, uh, they but say. But also, like, decisive and kind of feeling the victory away. Yeah. Certainly. Uh, and then we and then fast forward home. to the house. Yes. Whew. And this, again, obviously we'll discuss it in a minute, parallels counterparts and the ending there. Um, mm. Just a very strong ending at the at the yeah. house where he has a little kid, a little boy, a baby, and he had forgotten to bring his wife, Annie, home. Uh, I think it was tea and uh, sugar. Yeah. And so she was upset about that and left the baby with him, and she goes out to get it herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, again, coming back to the theme of strangeness. The, the, this, this ending yeah. was a bit, like, very particular to someone like Joyce, I felt like. This guy is reading a poem yeah, of cool. Byron. Well, bef- before, before a, he gets to Byron... Yeah, the photograph. I bracket it off. Um, so he, he doesn't like, like, like Annie's just gone, but he has like this whole one-sided interaction with Annie's photograph. Yeah. With her photograph from Um, when they were engaged. Right. I think not her herself, but, uh, yeah. Like with the picture, uh, with the picture. Um, (laughs) I guess it would be probably after they got married, uh, cause he bought her a dress that cost a little bit of money. (laughs) (laughs) But what an agony of nervousness it had cost him, how he had suffered that day, waiting at the shop, waiting at the shop door until the shop was empty, standing at the corner and trying to appear at his ease while the ladies piled ladies' blouses before him, et cetera, et cetera. And then when he, when he brought it home, she liked it, but then she was like, uh, then she threw, when she found out the price, she threw the blouse on the table and said it was a regular swindle, charged 10 and 11 pence for it. Um, yeah, even even like her favorite, uh, yeah, her favorite su- blue summer blouse that he he was extravagant. The one time he was extravagant, mm-hmm. um, even that is kind of staled and uh, kind of ruined by the yeah by that by just where they are their their lives. Well, he finds then, something mean in the photograph, in her face. Why yeah. was it so unconscious and ladylike? The composure of the eyes irritated him. They repelled and defied him. There is no passion in them, no rapture, no voluptuous longing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, and there's a line down here. Was it too late for him to try to live bravely like Gallagher? Yeah. Which was... Uh, sad line uh, to read. the prim and prettiness of his... Yeah, and his wife is pretty. Uh, the life his furniture is pretty. You know, he has nice things. That he's rented. He has a nice boy. Rent to buying. Right. Yeah. 
So it's not like, you know, if you were a, a street urchin or something, you'd probably look at this guy and think, yeah. wow, I wish I were him. Um, right. And this guy's looking at Gallagher and wishing he was him. So let's talk about the, the Byron poems. He starts to read it while he's holding the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, re- of a young lady. There was a resonance in the word clay in the poem, which I don't know if we want oh, yeah. to discuss. Because I was trying to figure out the meaning behind that title i had to look it up uh of the story clay so that struck out to me i was i was like i, I read that and i said what the hell i mean i wonder if that's the reason for that other title but then i, I figured think it's out. really a clue but yeah but so it, he's dreaming basically of being a poet and he's soothing in himself by reading this poem mm. that's open and then the uh the baby starts to cry and he screams and he at the kid, at yeah, to stop. Um, and right then, his wife he just comes yells home. at it ineffectually. Stop. Um, as opposed to what other people might do. Yeah. In a similar situation, but we'll meet in a second. Um, yep. Yeah, she comes in mad, uh, and for near the end, what's the thing? Yeah, so she's yelling at him for, for, you know, the baby. She comes home and the baby's crying. Um, what have you done to him? She cried, glaring into his face. Well, Chandler sustained for one moment the gaze of her eyes and his heart closed together as he met the hatred in them. Oof. And the way she talks to the baby oh, yeah, was... Like, the way she talked to the baby was pretty... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, what do you call it when you take away someone's masculinity? Uh, whatever. Emasculating, or I forget that word. Emasculating. Yeah, there you go. Emasculating. When she calls the baby her little man, and kind of like ignores him, flings past him. That was pretty uh, ruthless. There, even even if he was in the wrong, she didn't really know he was. You know. Um. So that takes us to counterparts. Well, well, before 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 we go to counterparts, I just want to suggest. Um, Please do. Reading through Little Chandler, or Little Chandler's story, um, <laughs> and remo- remembering that Joyce, Little Chandler was this like diminutive person who had even like smaller uh, manners and seemed smaller than he was or whatever, uh, with his childish white teeth and, and, and his fear of going out into the world and trying to do anything. Um, I just want to suggest that reading through this. Uh, I, I, I can imagine this is James Joyce, or I can imagine a reading that this is James Joyce if he had stayed in Ireland and, you know, used his undergraduate degree to get a good enough job to pay for, to lease to, or rent to buy furniture um, and support a child in, in, in Ireland and um, had not gone abroad and started adventuring and uh, adventuring with literature and such. Um, but a lot of those mannerisms are kind of like the most cheapest, most cheapish parts, I think. Or, or I, not to put too fine a point on, on it, just, just to say, are related to the most sheepish parts of Joyce's personal mannerisms. Um, who could be, you know, uh, yeah, had he stayed in Ireland, who knows, this, this, this kind of feels like a nightmare of, 
his life. Because, I mean, he wouldn't have been, you know, a street urchin, like you say, but he could have easily fallen into quite a deep rut like this. Mm. I just want to put that suggestion in there. Um, do, do, do we know if he ever seriously contemplated doing that? He seemed... You mean, like, going back, or... No, during... I don't know. When, before he decided to write. It seems like he had a pretty early on strong yeah, was, trajectory there. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, it's, it's hard to imagine him not quitting Ireland or certainly, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's hard to imagine. Um, <clears throat> he went to Paris first and then there was always like a, a itching to get out and start writing. Mm-hmm. All right. There's always, you know, any decision you make, you're making a decision that isn't some other decision. True. And there were plenty of people I'm sure he knew uh, from, you know, university or from from college, from from school, uh, who didn't make that choice. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, now counterparts. (laughs) Now on to counterparts. The fun little short story we have <laughs> um well this guy has more spunk than uh little chandler anyway uh yes but it's like the it shows you the option for if you're like a if you are a more spunky person you're either this modest little mouse like little chandler or you're this you know dark wine colored drunkard like uh Farrington? Like Farrington, Farrington, I think. Well whatever. Yeah. Um yeah, so I guess he's a clerk at a law firm, right? Yeah. And he makes copies of legal papers and so forth. Um Yeah. And he is not having it's it. He is boring. not boring. That is sounds so fucking boring. I mean, I can understand that he has to drink to even get through <laughs> But, like, five drinks during the day. Um, he's even, like I said, like I was kind of alluding to, he's even assumed a dark wine color to his face. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he is. Um, just, like, he, he, the first part of the story is him avoiding doing this work and pushing it back from 4 to 4.30 to 5. And trying to figure out how to get an advance on his salary or advance on his pay so that he can go buy alcohol and go to the pubs and have a good night. Yeah. Um, so he's sitting there, I guess, kind of doing his work. Uh, what? Someone, someone, I guess it's sort of a secretary type person, tells her, uh, tells uh, Farrington that the boss wants to see him, basically. And... Mm-hmm. Um, He's in trouble, so he he goes, he, he goes heavily at, upstairs. At, as per usual. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mr. Aline. Why have I always to complain of you? Why have I, I, I always... Aline to... was actually a name of a law office. I know this story got in trouble because a lot of the names are real. Um, certainly the names of the pubs are actual names of pubs, which was uh, troubling to the publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Aline might actually have been a firm or something, maybe just like a name he saw on the side of the building when he was in Dublin. 
little jog along Dublin or old jog along jog along Dublin. Uh, so basically, Mister Aline has a problem because this guy Farrington's not doing his job fast enough, and something yeah. was due at four p.m. and he hadn't done it yet, or I guess hadn't right. apprised Mister Aline of his progress or anything. Um, yeah, yeah. So he Makes sends him excuse about the senior clerk telling him he didn't have to do it. Yeah, and he sends him back down to do his work. Uh, which doesn't work out because he can't stop thinking about getting a drink. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, his job just sucks. Like, it's <laughs> horrible. <laughs> um, yeah, I can relate to this story. I think I was telling you over text, you know, it's like, I totally get this story. Um, you know, there's a point where you're at, you know, you have to have a better attitude maybe at a certain extent, but you can totally understand why um, why he does what he does and why he's it so cavalier about his crazy. job. Yeah. Have you ever read, this is a totally unrelated, or not totally unrelated, but have you ever read Gogol's The Overcoat? We talked about that. I can't recall. Oh, okay. I, don't, I don't think so. I need to. You would recall if you had read it. Okay. Um, and I recommend it a lot. It's possibly, like, it, yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 I think as Dostoevsky said, everything else in Russian literature is like <laughs> under the overcoat or underhanged by, overhanged by the overcoat. Um, <laughs> it's very good and very uh, striking. Um, but he's, the guy in the overcoat is a clerk who, he's like a, I think he's like 50 if I remember correctly, like a 50 year old clerk who lives in a room, you know, like a studio, just like a room. Uh, and he'll bring home papers that he liked to copy the first time and copy them again just for fun. Like not even bringing his work home, but just bringing his work home, you know, to finish it, to get ahead or something. Bringing his work home just to like copy it because he likes it. He, it's like the only thing he does. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> um, yeah, that, 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 that's what this reminded me of or made me think of. Um, God, what a sad existence all these three people have, Lil Chandler, Farrington, i.e. Fartington, and uh, the guy in the overcoat. Um, yeah, same feel. Yeah, it just makes you, in, you're just like a, you're just like a, you're, you're an automaton. I mean, that's literally just a job for, you know, a mechanical device now. It's not even like an advanced thing anymore or at this point. Yeah. Um. You're an automaton just copying out somebody else's writing, somebody else's contract. Well, there's one um, thing if you have an ambition to be a lawyer or something, and that's a way in the door, out of poverty, and so so that's a good thing. But if you're someone like Farrington, who... Okay, obviously isn't yeah, yeah, making he, any progress. Or, yeah, he doesn't have any interest yeah. in doing this. He wants to be, live a more brave life, maybe like uh, Gallagher. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think um, sometimes when I've read kind of glosses of what a clerk does, it kind of makes it sound too much like a, like a legal assistant, like, um, or a paralegal or something, because that's like the closest it would be. I mean, they don't want to just say it's a copy machine, <laughs> but yeah, he's not a paralegal. He's not a, a legal assistant or something. This is, I mean, this isn't like a run on to being a lawyer. You can't be, go from being a clerk to being a lawyer in any, certainly not in Ireland. I mean, yeah. Uh, he is just a copy machine mm-hmm. as a 
like a person who has to just do that for his whole job um painstakingly because you can't get anything wrong too it's that it's that like if you i mean if you get something wrong in a contract if, if, if you forget a term or you forget a number or something yeah yeah that could have huge legal you have I mean, to if get it gets a name it gets a name later on and it sucks <laughs> yeah um it's this horrible mindless job that you have to get perfect which there yeah i mean there it's there's, there's, there's not, a, it, 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 there's not a lot of other things that are you can imagine, like office jobs. It's just such a bad job. Um, one of the things that stood out to me in this story was Farrington's uh, out of control emotions. I guess, sort of, I got the sense oh, the yeah. the pressure of having a job that was so senseless to him, uh, that was so demanding. Yeah. Uh, and taxing about yeah. things that he didn't care about made him kind of nuts a little bit, you know, and was driving him. And he, I mean, he can't really, he has like no control for one thing, but he can't, there's no one like under him that he can like take it out on. Um, yeah. Right, well, as we'll see, there are a couple people under him, but not in the office. Right. Um, he's just like, there's not no outlet for him if he's mad i mean not even take it out on somebody but like there's no one else he can talk to and be like that guy was an asshole to me um he's just like sitting alone at his desk um there's no like camaraderie there's no uh no sense of yeah any 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 kind of solidarity Mm -hmm. um i i underlined where he said um he had he basically he runs out to grab a beer and comes back and uh, yeah. the porter he had gulped down so hastily confused the man. GP is a line I underlined. Yeah. And um, yeah, both his, both his drinking obviously yeah makes his emotions kind of bubble out. But yeah, the fact that I he doesn't have any way of you know redressing the situation. He can't go to P. Uh, what is it? Personal relations or not? Uh, HR. You mean? HR, there you go. He can't go to human relations. That's how rarely I deal with offices. Uh, he can't go to HR and say, like, this guy's being an asshole to me. He just, yeah. he just walls up and then he just has to let it subside, I guess. Uh, there's and a line. he does is shocking the thing we'll get to. Yeah, there's a line further on where it says the barometer of his emotional nature was set for a spell of riot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Barometric pressure is rising. Um, any what? So you want to just go to where he has this outburst? Yeah. So um, there's a thing where he's like supposed to have copied out letters for a different client, and he hadn't copied out all the letters. So he just like pretends that they were lost or forgotten, or just he had nothing to do with it. There are two letters that just weren't there. Yeah, and the guy's like there with the client, um, Miss Delacour. Um, and so yeah, he's he's berating the guy. He's berating for or Aline berating Farrington in front of like the rest of the office. He didn't call him in or something. He brought the client down and is yelling at Farrington in front of the rest of the office, and he says. Uh, you know nothing, of course you know, or you know nothing about the, uh, missing letters. You know nothing, of course you know nothing, said Mr. Aline. 
Tell me, he added, glancing first for approval to the lady beside him. Do you take me for a fool? Do you think me an utter fool? Um, I don't think, sir, Farrington said, that that's a fair question to put to me. <laughs> oh, got him. Whoa. <laughs> God. That is like the, everyone, oh my God, how, a, a hush goes, goes through the rest of the, the rest of the office. Um, every, everyone was astounded. The author of the witticism, no less than his neighbors. <laughs> the witticism. Yeah. It makes his boss go crazy. You impertinent ruffian, you impertinent ruffian, ruffian. I'll make short, short work of you. Wait till you see. You'll apologize to me for your impertinence. <laughs> or you'll quit the office instanter. You'll quit this, I'm telling you, or you'll apologize to me. Which he does apologize. We don't yeah. see that, but we know he does. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then he leaves savage and thirsty and revengeful. Mm. <laughs> yes. Because, yeah, even that one barely noticeable outburst. Because, like, immediately, yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of emasculating, um, but that one sentence uh, has to instantly apologize for probably kowtow to this not very pleasant or admirable man who is his boss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like how we learned, too, that Mr. Lean had overheard him mimicking... Uh, Mr. Aline's North oh, of yeah. Ireland accent. <laughs> so that was good background. Your Belfast accent. Yeah, I wrote down as a note when I was reading because it reminded me of my 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 personal career at at big banks where um, your personality basically at a big corporate place gets stamped out of you effectively. I mean, it just doesn't fit typically. You know, you're allowed to a degree yeah. to have a personality, but. Uh, it definitely, if, 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 for example, you have a boss that it has, is humorless, as I have before, um, you, you can't use humor. You know, it, it just, it doesn't work. How, yeah. can you, how can you have a boss that thinks you're not being funny uh, or, or sees that as impertinence, you know? Um, so that's kind of what it reminded me of. Um, yeah. So anyway. Uh, and, of course, this builds huge resentment in this poor guy who all he wants is a drink. He, you know, he wants the comfort of the public house. He pawns his watch just so that he can pay for having a nice little night out. Yeah. He finally figures out he yeah. can go pawn his watch. Again, there's a theme where at least a character, a type of person who always has to borrow money in these stories. I think that's kind of funny, yeah. you know. Um <laughs> Those are the worst. I can't stand those people. <laughs> um, but he he doesn't borrow money. He pawns his watch, so that's good. And he he runs into his friend. So this is kind of like a, I don't know if it's an every night thing, but it's a very common thing that he and his buddies will yeah. go out for the evening and Drinkers. and go to different bars and yeah. hang together and buy each other rounds. And so you might go to one bar till it closes. Go to another bar till it closes. Yeah. All these riverside bars, these are all close to the Liffey's, so uh, fear elements afoot. You might think that this would 
take the edge off this guy, you know, but it doesn't because he finds reasons to become angry again. Uh, yeah. he, he was full of smoldering anger and revengefulness. Yeah. He keeps thinking about how his this friend had borrowed money. Some whiskeys and Apollinaire. Yeah. Apollinaire. Yeah. And you don't get the sense that his anger is very justified. I mean, I, I'm sure maybe the guy took more maybe than he paid for, but they were all buying each other rounds and everything, so... Um, Anyway. Yeah, I guess his anger at this point isn't justified. It's just like residual. Right. Again, barometric pressure doesn't just release self. Um, there's a line where he has to go back home and he says he lo well, it says he loathed returning to his home. Yeah. I was like, oh, uh oh. So he goes home and his wife is not there. His uh, sharp faced wife who bullies him <laughs> wasn't there. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, before that, there's, there's a really interesting uh, choice when the, the the line break between when he like decides to go home and um or when yeah when the rest of the guys leave and he like you know he's like on the bridge or on the tram. Um, yeah, is it a line break for you before a very sullen fate for? Sorry, a very sullen-faced man yeah. at the corner of O'Connell. Is that kind of like depersonalization of a character mm. we've been following for eight pages? He's just he's gone from Barrington to just a very sullen-faced man. Kind of. Yeah, that's yeah. enough to me. I mean, it just speaks for itself. <laughs> um, but that I put in, I I, I blocked that off because that is a uh, oof, that is doing. That is a lot right there. Well, and we know that tomorrow he has to go back and copy those legal papers or whatever. Yeah. Poor guy. It's probably 3 a.m. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it tells us the time. But he goes home and he yells up the stairs, like uh, making people serve him, basically, asking where the dinner is yeah. and why the light isn't on and everything. Well, I mean, he's drunk. It would be hard for him to <clears throat> manipulate the kitchen. But we do get a sense that his kid is used to it because... Yeah. Kind of just goes ahead and starts to... Yeah, the kid comes down and um, basically explains everything to him. You know, he knows what's yeah. going on and knows that he has to cook it. Um, so he's got to find a reason... the fire go out. Yeah, he's got to find a reason to hit the kid so he notices the fire is smoldering and um, mm -hmm. uses it as an opportunity to beat the kid with a stick, I think. Uh, he sees the walking yeah, stick. Yeah, like his walking stick, right? Yep. Yeah. Remind yeah, me. Just... Remind me when he says, "I'll say a hail mary for you." I'll say a hail mary for you. Isn't that? Wasn't there a, a story we read previous where that was a line, where the person promised to exchange to help a hail mary for something? I don't. I could be crazy. Uh... I could be crazy. But that just for some reason I oh, had a deja vu reading that. Um. I don't. I can't place it. Maybe okay. we can look back and update the episode later. Yeah, no problem. Um, update, update the people on our search for the the Hail Mary. Do we know if Grace, etc. Do we know if Joyce? He no. never. He never. He wasn't uh, a violent father or a husband, was he? No, not really. No. Um, okay. Yeah, that's. I mean, he was a. 
He was mercurial, but he wasn't. He was nice to his family, is my understanding. Sometimes he would get drunk. Like I said, it's a legend that sometimes he would get drunk and uh, get into uh, skirmishes that he would let Hemingway fight for him. Um, But that's the closest we have to even an anecdote, which the veracity of which cannot be ascertained. Um, But yeah, that's the closest he gets to any kind of violence on another person, as far as we know. Okay. Do you want to go into Clay? Uh, Yeah. Okay. How long have we been talking? 40 minutes. Oh. So we have time. Perfect. Perfect. And 20 minutes each. Um, Okay. I took the title initially to be the name of a man, which was totally wrong. So that threw me. Um, So I want to... Like, as you were reading it, or... No, I, I just started reading it, Clay. I just, for some reason, I guess I know a guy named Clay at work, and I just thought it was the name of a guy in the story, uh, or would end uh, up being. But, it, you know, Clay okay. refers to the uh, yeah, dirt Clay. Yeah, totally else. Yeah. So let's talk Bad about Maria. Maria, a very, very small person with a long nose and a long yeah. chin. Yes. Um, she seems nice. <laughs> That's all you can say. That's the only happy thing. Is well, I was going nice. to say, uh, this story, I, f- I didn't know where I was reading this story. It was like I was floating around in my head. I, didn't, I couldn't ground myself in this story. It was very difficult for me. Um, I, I don't know if you had that experience or not, but I, I don't know if that was on purpose. It was kind of like confusing, this story, to me anyway. Um did you have that sense? Yeah, I felt way more um, grounded in the other two. Hmm. In a setting. I, um, well, I mean, she is traveling, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. She's going to a, a party at a friend's house. Well, yeah, so she's going to her uh, brother's, right? Joe, seems like a, Joe and Alfie, I thought were her brother's. Yeah, I, 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 again, I was, I didn't know where I was reading it. I'm like, who the hell is Joe? Is, is Joe her lover? Is she married to Joe? Is it her brother? So she's going she to Joe's house, whoever he was. There's no lovers, no lovers for Maria. <laughs> no, no, but there she does have a nice body. <laughs> I liked how she complimented her body, as a, even though she yeah. was a bit older, it was like still a fit body for her, like a nice. I don't remember the yeah. line, but um, no lovers, but she's an right, older unmarried think, lady. Uh, uh, yeah. Doesn't ooh. even get noticed by the young men on the train. Like, not even sexually noticed, but, like, just for the minimum duty of pol- interpersonal politeness of, like, giving an, a lady your seat, which is, like, I mean, if you're, you know, under the age of 40 and you're not giving women your seat, or giving, you know, older people your seat doesn't have to be women. Old old men need to sit down, too. Um, but yeah, that is, it just doesn't even get noticed. Yeah, she doesn't, I don't know. It's like a, it's a flat person. She works at like a, like a make work kind of laundry for old prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and she and likes she them. Is, well, she's not an old prostitute. Uh, but she works like as a like a aid, like a kitchen aid, or I don't know what her like little literal job would be. But like she cuts the 
steak for their afternoon dinner. Everybody likes Maria. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets along with her. She seems to like other people. Uh, she changed her opinion about Protestants cool. because working with them, they're yeah. nice. A little bit serious, but they're nice. Um, yes. She seems to want to think well of everybody. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's basically Halloween. I guess it's the same concept there as here, I assume. Halloween, uh, yeah. Uh, and Not exactly the same like trick-or-treat. That would be pagan. <laughs> no, but apparently... <laughs> I they... had a neighbor who thought trick-or-treat was pagan. Well, but no, I mean they're Catholic. They would, they would like, they, they would like it. Yeah, I had, a, I had a neighbor who was very, very Protestant who did not do Halloween because it was pagan Catholicism, medieval Catholicism, paganry or something. Um, That's for Ben. <laughs> well, it's the point of view. Um, this, but there is a tradition, not trick or treating, but very and similar, I'm, where it looks like they yeah. play games that are very uh, traditional. To the holiday, they like. She, so yeah, she's bringing a bag of cakes, um, and uh, she splurges and spends two pence or two. What was it on the the the, the cake? Two and four pence um, on the nut something. It's, it didn't even sound good. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know a few of the They're words. Like, she gets so she gets all these cakes, and then she wants to get something really, really nice. Um, so she goes to another store, and gets, I can't find the I'll other find thing. It. The nut, the the one that she loses. The uh, plum cake. The nut, some plum cake. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and she gets yeah, upset because like she splurge. left it on the train or the uh, tram or whatever. Right. She left it on the tram because an old man was, like, nice to her. And, yeah, like, that, again, kind of flirty. story was so weird. Like, I, vaguely flirty. Uh, she like just a, kept obsessing over his gray she, hair. Like, he had gray hair. <laughs> he had a mustache. Okay. But, I mean, Nothing so happens. He was, he was nice. Yeah, he was, like, um, barely nice to her. her. questions. Um, again, maybe kind of flirtatious, maybe, because she gets flustered, obviously, flustered enough that she doesn't even, uh, remember her cake. Right. Because she spent two pence or two whatever, two quids, I don't know, two and four, two and four pence. Um, but then she, she and Joe talk about old times, um, just kind of trying to get her back happy, sit her by the fire. She got real sad. And then they play another game. Yes, uh, from which the story gets its title, where she's right. blindfolded and sent to the table. And I suppose the game is whatever you touch first is kind of symbolic of, of your future. Yeah. That's, that's what right. I got the understanding from uh, Googling yeah. it. And she does. This echoes a little bit. There was supposed to be one of the slices of cake was supposed to have a ring in it, and that if you got that slice of cake, that meant you were the next person to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, and she obviously doesn't get it because the cosmos is set against just yeah. She's not going to have any lovers. She's set against 
the, the whole system of the universe, um, yeah, just nullifies the idea of her getting married or having any kind of erotic eros in her life, um, erotic attachment to another being. Um, and then also this, there was like a, one of them was, uh, like a ring, I think, or something that implied future marriagefulness. Um, I forget what the other ones were. Well, one of them's clay, am I right? Yeah, one of them's clay, which signifies the death, implication. right? <laughs> yeah, it's so solemn that, but yeah, she. Okay, so there's clay and the other stuff. Um, and what does she pick up, of course? Well, she touches the yeah, clay. You can't even name it. It's it's so it's so it's so like bad. She felt a soft, <laughs> wet yeah, substance. Yeah, don't even say. Yeah, it's right. exactly like I, I Miss Donnelly. Else gets a hush and... Whoever Miss Donnelly is, kind of like gives her the prayer book, right? In 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 lieu well, of yeah, her, in lieu of the clay. Her, her sister-in-law, I guess. Miss Donnelly is Joe. Yeah, right. she's like stop. The kids. I don't know if the kids made her touch the clay or anything, but or or whatever happened. She touched the clay. She doesn't get what the clay means. Yeah. I, I mean, apparently. Uh, I think she gets what it means. She just doesn't emphasize it. Okay. Well, she's giggling. She she's bad. having a good time. She's laughing so hard that her nose is merely meets her chin. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it doesn't Does bother her. Um, well, I mean, it's a game. Yeah. It's a well, yeah. A good point, Nash. And I think she's so she's so like <laughs> she's gotten to the point. I mean, as as we you know, as she said when whenever she didn't get the ring in the in the cake, she's kind of like past like post or you know, but for this one mm. happy exchange with this man on the bus or on the train, um, yeah, she's kind of otherwise resigned to her. Lovelessness. Her lovelessness. Well, she well, always. I mean, she's so she's so like past it that like. Yeah, it's uh, like she doesn't she care. The song she forgets. Well, yeah, but she's yeah. But she, well, okay, she, tell me what she, she doesn't she remember. Remember the. Yeah, there's the line, um, in the song. I dreamt that, that I, I dwelt. The the next verse is supposed to be about like lovers. That the okay that she the singer would be talking about, but yeah, she just she totally forgets about it and sings the same verse twice. Um, I got yeah. you. I got uh, you. I got you. No one tried to show her her mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she always yeah. she apparently has a nice voice because she made them all cry. Yeah, yeah, but it's, I mean it's also bad to hear a whole a whole lady sing a love song. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. But I also dreamt, which pleased me most, that you loved me still the same. So what's better, Nash, to be an one. old lady who's not married or to be um, married and so regretful about your choice? Not a lot of good choices. <laughs> <laughs> or should you just go to Paris and involve yourself in the corruption? Guess, yeah. Exactly. 
Maria I mean, should go Joe, to Paris. Yeah, I mean, you talk about, about like regretting your choices. I don't know if Joe necessarily regrets his choices, but he does talk. Or uh, the narrator does talk about how Joe likes to talk yeah. about olden times, and at the end, he said that there was no time like the long ago. Right. He's obsessed with the past, and he also, like our friend in the previous story, had a witty thing to say to his boss, which he was bragging about, which Maria didn't understand why he laughed at, but. Uh, <laughs> That was funny. Yeah. Yeah, so these stories are are Maybe paired together very well. It's yeah. um it's the resonances are fun. Like I said, that that poem at the end of Counterparts uh a little a little cloud. Where they talk about the clay. Yeah, sorry, a little cloud where he yeah. talks about the clay, um the lady being in the grave and Wait. Yeah, it is a it is a poem to a dead person in in Byron. So yeah, that does that that does. Um, I guess yeah, I guess there's no there's it, it isn't like there's no echo. Um, there is quite an echo when yeah, uh, talking about Clay and he's just living this, you know, not exactly lively life. Maria here. Um. Right, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, <laughs> oof. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just take it out of you. <laughs> um, three, seven. Yeah, I, I, the clay one threw me. I mean, that was like, I don't know why that just threw me. I don't know. I can't even, I, I, I thought about it after I and I looked it up. It isn't sad, you know? Um, and it is like. It was, but it was like pitiful, you know, it Irish. wasn't. It wasn't only melancholy. It was like a wet dog sad, yeah. you know? Yeah, because there's a melancholy to a little cloud because he could have made another choice. Right. You know? Little Chandler could have made a choice and been James Joyce. Not to, <laughs> that was way too rhymey. Um, <laughs> but uh, this lady, like her, you know, when she got, when, you know, they had to move out of their house, her brothers got her this job, which seemed like just about as good of a job as she could have gotten. And, mm-hmm. like, there hasn't been a choice, you know. She's just, it's pitiful because she's just living on this track that she could never have gotten off of, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's why it's so much... Uh, yeah, melancholy is not the word. Pitiful is the word for this one. That's why it's so much more pitiful. So much more of a bummer to me than Little Cloud. Mm-hmm. All right, dude. Is that all we got? <laughs> That's all I want to say about this. Okay.